Well, let's pray and ask for God's help as we open up his word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the ways you've been working as we've heard all these testimonies. We love you. You're so faithful. So faithful. We thank you. And Lord, we ask again now that you would come and work in our hearts as we open up the scriptures. And I need your help, Lord. Give me wisdom. Give me uh, the right heart. And would you come and empower your word this morning and that we would be deeply, deeply impacted, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. Well, I want to start this morning, this, the message this morning, with what might sound like kind of a strange question. So the question is this. How do you feel about dying? Honestly, how, how do you feel about dying? Let, let's say that this week, the doctor told you you've got, got two weeks left. How would you feel? What kind of feelings would rise up in your in your heart. And I think if we're honest, we will all admit that there would be lots of feelings of fear. Right? Fear of the suffering, possibly. Fear of losing what we have here in our lives. Fear of standing before God. Are we forgiven or not? Fear of what might happen to our, our loved ones. Right? And so the thought of death can fill us with fear. Now, But we're going to hear the author of Hebrews tell us this morning is that Jesus Christ can completely free you from all fear of death. Completely free you from all fear of death. That Jesus Christ changes everything. Everything. So that when you you think of of death, not only are you completely free from all fear, but when you see clearly who he is and trust what he has said, you will be filled with peace and even anticipation and even joy. Interested? Let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 2. Now, if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We always like to make sure that you've got a copy of the scriptures in front of you so that you can be looking at this passage with us. So raise your hand. Don't be bashful. We'll give you one to use this morning. And Hebrews 2 starts on page 1001 in the Bibles we're passing out right now. Now, let me just give you an overview of of where the author's brought us so far. Here's, here's, Here's what he's been saying to us. We'll kick it up on the screen. The point of chapter 1 is that because God, the creator of the universe, has spoken to us by sending his own son, and because Jesus, God's son, is superior to the angels, being God himself, therefore we must cling to this word about Jesus. That's chapter 1 all the way to chapter 2, verse 1. Okay, That's all that left-hand arc right there. And then in chapter 2, he gives us more reasons why it is crucial that we continue to cling to this word about Jesus. In verses 2 and 3, he says one reason is because if we're not clinging, then we are what? Remember? If we're not clinging, we are drifting. 
And if we keep drifting, we could drift to destruction. That's verses 2 and 3. And then verses 3 and 4, he says another reason we should keep clinging to this word is that God has given us so much evidence to demonstrate the absolute truth of his word that we can be completely confident that it is 100% certainly true and reliable, every bit of it. That's verses 3 and 4. Then he gives a third reason, what we saw last week in verses 5 through 13. It's because Jesus has won back for us the God-given destiny that the reason he, he created us, but which we had forfeited by our sin. And I just want to un- unpack it a little bit more because that's going to flow into this week's passage. You've got to understand that God has created humanity. He's created you, me. We're not here by accident. We're created. He created us to have an amazing destiny. And he describes that in the beginning of chapter 2, verses, or in, in uh, verses 5 through 13. We see the whole package. He created us so that we would be over the angels. He created us so that we'd be crowned with his glory and honor. And he created us so that everything in creation would be under our feet, under the Lord, under our feet. That's the the destiny. He created you to have that. But we've all sinned, Adam and Eve and all of us. And so we have forfeited that destiny that God created us for. Forfeited it. And so instead of being over angels... There is a fallen angel, namely the devil, who is standing over us with the power of death. We'll be looking at that more closely today. And instead of being crowned with God's glory and honor because of our sin, we face God's punishment and judgment. And instead of being over creation, we are terrorized by tornadoes and hurricanes and whatever that new storm is that's coming up the East Coast right now and we're harassed by viruses and we're killed by cancer. And so creation is not under us, helping us, creation is over us, opposing us, hurting us, harming us. We have forfeited the destiny that God gave us because of our sin. God pulled back the blessing of this destiny, and he allowed us to come under the curse of his just punishment. And that's where we are because of our sin. But, the story doesn't end there. In verses 5-13 through 13 of chapter 2, we read that Jesus won back our lost destiny. There were two things that had to happen. For us to win back, gain back that lost destiny. One is, there needed to be a flesh and blood man, a human being, who perfectly obeyed God and received the destiny God had promised to those who perfectly obeyed him. There needed to be a flesh and blood man who perfectly obeyed God and got that destiny. And then, there needs to be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Someone punished in our place. Someone sinless, punched in our place so we could be forgiven and receive that destiny, share that destiny with Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus Christ was fully God from eternity past. 2,000 years ago, he became a flesh and blood man. And he perfectly trusted, perfectly obeyed God the Father in every dimension, even to the point of saying, yes, Father, in Gethsemane, and dying, suffering terribly on the cross to pay for our sins. And so because of what Jesus did, his perfect obedience, God has exalted him above the angels, seated him at his right hand, crowned him with glory and honor, and at the second coming, everything will be placed under Jesus' feet. So Jesus is the Psalm 8 man that we were supposed to be. This is all from last week. And step by step, he won back for us the destiny that we had forfeited. So that's what he did. How do we get in on it? One way. Faith alone. We trust Jesus Christ. 
We turn from whatever else we've been trusting to satisfy us. And we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, who paid for all of our sins on the cross, as our Lord, guides us in our steps, and as our all-satisfying treasure. We put our trust in, in Him. And as we do that, we are joined to Jesus, and then we will be restored to the destiny that God had intended for us from the very beginning. So that's verses 5 through 13. Now, at this point, the author knows that there's, there's one more topic that he's got to dig a little bit deeper in on this issue before his readers and his listeners, us, will see the whole picture of what Jesus has done. And it's the problem of the fact that because of our sin, we're all going to die. Because of our sin, we're going to die. So what has Jesus done about death? That's the point of verses 14 through 18. Now to dig into this, let's start with this question, just to, so we can get, get the picture of where the author's coming from. Coming from, What is every human being facing? And looking, look at what he says in verse 14. What is every human being facing? Verse 14. He says, Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood... That's us, humanity, we share in flesh and blood. He himself, likewise, he's speaking of Jesus here, partook of the same things, that is, flesh and blood. Why? That, or so that, or for the purpose that, through death he might destroy, and I'll get this next line, the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Okay, let's think back to that time before you were trusting Jesus. Okay, so before you were trusting Jesus, what were you facing? Before you were trusting Jesus, you and everyone else who wasn't trusting Jesus faced the devil who had the power of death. Before you were trusting Jesus Christ, you faced the devil who had the power of death. Now, how did the devil get the power of death? Well, God and his sovereignty allowed him to have it as a just expression of God's punishment for our sin. Okay? That's how the devil has gotten the power of death. And so before, before we were saved, what we all faced was the devil. We were moving relentlessly towards the devil who had the power to kill us. And because this was an expression of God's judgment, the implication was that that, that death would move into eternally being punished by God in hell. And so... Each of us, before we were saved, what we saw as we looked ahead was the devil having over us the power to kill us. That's what we all faced before we were saved. How did that affect us? Next question. Verses 14 and 15. It's verse 15. Let's get the flow of thought, though, by starting in verse 14 again. So since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, that's us, Human beings, he, Jesus himself, likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through, here's what, here's how this affected us, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. So before you were saved, as you saw ahead the devil with the power of death, the way that impacted you was that you were terrorized by the thought of death in such a way that you were a lifelong slave to the fear of death. Now, it does not mean that every unsaved person is constantly thinking and fearing, fearing death. That's just not the case. 
What this does mean, though, is that every unsaved person is constantly working very hard not to think about death. Keeping busy. Thinking about this, not thinking about that. Or when thoughts of death do come in, we work very hard to paint the picture. We're all going to go to a better place. Right? It's going to be fine. Not a problem. It's just a beautiful light shining, drawing me. I'm hearing beautiful music and you know, all that stuff, which, which is, apart from Christ, is, is, a, is a lie. Tragically, it's a lie, apart from Christ. And so we were all, before we were saved, enslaved to the fear of death. Not that we always were feeling conscious fear about death, but we were constantly working very hard not to think about death, or when it did come, to work really hard to to remake what it might be so that we're feeling okay about it. So we were all slaves, lifelong slaves, to the fear of death. Now, Now, why does death cause so much fear? I think the main reason is because, as unbelievers, we feared being punished by God. I mean, deep down inside, everyone knows there's a God. Book of Romans teaches. And deep down inside, I mean, we don't we don't let those we didn't let those thoughts come up very often, but they were there. We knew it. Deep down inside, we knew there was a God. Deep down inside, we've all known we've we have dishonored God by rebelling against Him. We knew that. And deep down inside, we all knew that we could never be good enough to make up for it. And so there's this fear of dying and facing my maker and knowing that the answer is not going to be good. Again, this is before we were saved, right? That's one reason we feared death. Another reason we feared death is because we feared losing the joys of life here on earth, right? Watching Giants in the World Series. Okay, go Giants. Driving your Porsche on Summit Road, okay? Chardonnay, chicken masala, sex, you know, all the things that we love about life here on earth. And you think, God, you just fear losing the joys that you have here on earth. And that can just petrify you. That's the second reason. Another reason we can fear death is because of the pain and suffering that comes from dying. Right? Dying can be very difficult, very painful. And the thought of that can terrorize us. And then one fourth reason I thought of is we fear leaving loved ones with the hardship that would come about through our dying. Right? The emotional pain, the maybe the issue of provision, um, you know, spouses being left alone, children being left without a father or a mother, all those things can can cause great fears we think about death. So before we were saved, we faced the devil who has the power to kill us. And that thought and all that death means terrorized us. So we were enslaved to the fear of death. And so the author wants to really make clear, this is what we faced, but now what did Jesus do? What did Jesus Christ do? And I love the number of the songs that Dave chose this morning, which illustrated what Jesus Christ has done. First, Jesus partook of flesh and blood so he could die. Did you realize one of the reasons Jesus was born and laid in a manger with a, with a, a body? He was he came a man so he could die. That's why. L- look at the verse. Verse 14, again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, so that through death, so that he could die, 
he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So see, we've sinned, and we face death for our sin, and the only way we could be saved from that is if someone without sin died in our place. Only way we could be saved is if someone without sin died in our place. So who are we going to find who's without sin? None of us, okay? No human being on the globe. Who could that be then? It's Jesus. Jesus Christ. And he was fully God from eternity past, and he chose to become a flesh and blood man. And one of the reasons was, is that because as God, God God can't die. God's indestructible, right? Jesus couldn't die unless he took on a human nature, unless he took on a body which can die. And so Jesus took on a back which could be scourged. And he took on hands and feet which could have spikes driven through them. And he took on a scalp which could be gouged with thorns. And he took on nerves which could scream with pain. And he took on a body with blood that could be spilled, shed for us on our behalf. And so the first step was that Jesus became a man so that he could die. The sinless man, the God-man, could die in our place. That's the first step. Second step, by dying, Jesus made propitiation for our sins. I hope you will love this word propitiation after this morning. Okay, look at verse, start with verse 16, and we'll go to verse 17 where that word occurs. Verse 16, surely it's not angels that he helps. That's why he didn't become the God angel. He didn't take on angel nature. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Okay, so this is why he became a man, because he helps people, the offspring of Abraham. And notice it's not all men and women around the globe who've always lived who he helps. He only helps those who are the offspring of Abraham, which, when you read the New Testament, doesn't just refer to Jewish people. It refers to Jews and Gentiles who trust Jesus. Okay, so that's who Jesus helps. And then verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, that's us, and sisters, made to be like his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make, and here's that crucial word, propitiation for the sins of the people. Now, like I said, I hope you will love this word propitiation after this morning. Underline it in your Bible. This is a word that everybody here at Mercy Hill Church, we need to know this. This is the word that as you're on your deathbed will free you from fears. to what's God going to say? Propitiation. What does this word mean? It means this. Just put this down in your margin of your Bible. It means to satisfy God's wrath. Three words. Satisfy God's wrath. Okay, so here's how this works. Because of our sin, God had wrath. Just, holy, pure, righteous wrath. Anger against me and against you. Oh, we've got to understand this. We've all profaned infinite glory, the infinite glory of God, and God rightly, justly, perfectly, holy is enraged at my sin. 
and at your sin. You've got to feel this. You've got to understand this. Don't say, oh, I'm not going to think about that. That'll make me afraid of death. You've got to think about it, and you'll be free from fear of death if you go to the next step. God rightly, justly, perfectly, beautifully was enraged at me and at you because we had profaned his infinite glory. And his wrath, which was just, righteous, and holy, had to be expressed. It had to be satisfied by being expressed. So, Jesus became a man so that by dying on the cross, the wrath of God against Steve Fuller could be expressed not on me, but on Jesus on the cross. So that the wrath which he rightly had and felt about me, towards me, he could direct it and pour it out upon Jesus on the cross. And because the Steve Fuller wrath that he had towards me was poured out upon Jesus instead of me, it was expressed, it was satisfied, it's no longer in God's heart. And because you're trusting Jesus Christ, the exact same thing is true of you. The wrath that God justly felt towards you because of your profaning his infinite glorious name, that wrath, if you're trusting Jesus, was poured out upon Jesus. It was expressed, the punishment was poured out upon Jesus, so the wrath is all poured out upon Jesus, which means there's none left in God's heart towards you, which means that what is in God's heart towards you now is love, compassion, delight, joy. He's rejoicing over you to do you good with all his heart and all his soul tomorrow, the next decade, forever. So Jesus made propitiation for our sins. His death on the cross satisfied God's wrath. And so there is not a drop of wrath in God's heart for any of you who are trusting Jesus Christ. All that's there is love and mercy and compassion, the Father's love, just like we've heard talked about this morning. Third step, as a result of satisfying God's wrath through propitiation. By the way, what's this word again? Well, satisfy, but what, the word is propitiation, okay? Make sure we all get it. We, let's just say it one more time. The word is propitiation. Love that word. Start talking about that. Teach your kids about propitiation. This is so important. But then third, as a result, Jesus destroyed the devil's power over death. Read verse 14 again. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So through death, Jesus destroyed the devil who has the power of death. Now, that does not mean that Jesus destroyed the devil on the cross. That's still coming. At the second coming, that will happen. What it means here is that he destroyed the devil in terms of his power over death. That aspect of the devil's rule was destroyed. Now, here's how. It was God's wrath that gave the devil the power of death over humanity. So picture it like this. So, so here's the devil. He's like one of those blow-up guys. Remember those things, the air's blowing in? Okay, right? And what is empowering the devil to stand before you and what power of death is that it's plugged into the outlet of God's just wrath. 
So as long as there's God's just wrath, that's empowering the devil to stand before you with the power of death. But when Jesus paid for your sins, no more power was flowing through that. And he, oh, okay, all right? So he's not standing before you anymore with the power of death because Jesus paid for our sins. God's wrath was satisfied. So God's wrath is no longer sending current through that outlet empowering the devil to stand before you with the the power of death over you. He's collapsed. He's not before you anymore. Jesus destroyed the devil's power over death. Conquered it. Destroyed it. Now, doesn't mean we don't die as believers. Okay? We do die. But just listen. There's a, there's a, a world of difference between looking ahead to your death and seeing that your death is in the devil's hands. His wicked, malevolent, sadistic hands. That's what we were looking at. There's your death coming and it's in the devil's hands. And you're right to be terrorized by that. Because you know that it's going to lead to God's judgment in the whole thing. That's not what we're seeing though. Right? Jesus destroyed the devil's power over death. So yes, there is still death awaiting you. But instead of being in the devil's hands, it's in the father's hands. Your death is in the Father's hands, His loving hands, His wise hands, His merciful hands, His compassionate hands. Changes everything. So Jesus has broken the devil's power of death. Okay, so why don't we need to fear death? Why not? Let's go back to my original question How do you feel about dying? Doctor calls you this week and says, you've got five days to live. I'm so sorry. How do you feel about dying? Because of what Jesus Christ has done, and because you are connected to him by faith, you have have a trust relationship with the living Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, and because you're connected to him by faith, you would not need to feel any fear. I'm not overstating it. You don't need to feel any fear. Let me give you four reasons why. First, you don't need to fear God's punishment because Jesus has propitiated, ah, love that word, all of God's wrath against you. Now, this is so important. I'm just almost certain that in a group this size, some of you fear uh, standing before God and you really aren't sure what he would say. Truth, in terms of the, this, the real gut, real honest thoughts in your heart, you are not sure that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the, into the joy of the Lord. You aren't sure. You go to church, you, know, you believe the truth about the Bible, but you, you aren't sure if you're really saved. And so I want to tell you two things. One is because of what Jesus Christ has done, he has made a way for you to be completely sure completely, absolutely, certainly sure. And the way that you become completely sure is by turning to Jesus Christ, coming to him, turning from the other things you've been trusting to satisfy you, and putting your trust in Jesus Christ, coming to him as you are. I'm weak. I believe enough to be here, but help my unbelief. I've got all kinds of other stuff in my heart. I'm not worthy to be here. I'm going to trust you. Would you change me? Would you help me? Would you forgive me? Would you satisfy me? And when we come to Jesus just like that, remember Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the 
poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember this lesson, Mercy Hill Church? We don't come to him rich in spirituality. We come to him poor in spirit. And all of you qualify for being poor in spirit. This is the most amazing news. You think, well, I, I was bad yesterday. For sure. And how about this morning, right? Okay, like five minutes ago. All kinds of thoughts going through our minds. The qualification for coming to Jesus Christ is to recognize that you're poor in spirit. Our problem isn't that we are too poor in spirit, it's that we're too proud to recognize it. Recognize it. You are. I am. Okay? And when we will turn to Jesus Christ, poor in spirit, and say, help me, forgive me, change me, strengthen my faith, when we do that, we will have times when Jesus so pours his Holy Spirit upon us, we will have times when Jesus makes his presence so real to us that he himself will assure us that we are saved. He will assure us. We will have times where, Paul says in Romans 8, the Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. You will have times when you experience that. And you'll know. So I want to encourage you, Jesus has done everything necessary so you can be completely certain that when you die, you will be welcomed into God's presence. No wrath, no purgatory, no judgment, just love, care, the Father, forever. If you'll just if you'll trust him, turn to him and trust him, trust him. Second reason we don't need to fear You don't need to fear losing anything in this life because Jesus is your all-satisfying treasure and death will bring you even more of him. When you turn to Jesus, poor in spirit, and trust him, you will have times when he so shows you his glory, when he so pours his living water into your heart, when he so pours his love into your heart, you'll have times when he does that so much that you will say with David, I'm not sure it was David, Psalm 73, I think it was Asaph, you'll say with Asaph in Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. I am so satisfied in you, not, not in what you give, but in you, in beholding you, that I don't, I don't want anything else, I don't need anything else. I have you. You'll have times when you experience that. Now, it's not constant for any believer until heaven, okay? It's a battle. My heart's there and then back down. Okay, It's a battle. But you'll have times when you so feel the presence of God through Jesus by the Spirit that you'll be completely satisfied in him. And he is all you will want. And because you've had times like that, And because, you know, like Paul says, for me to live, it's Christ, and to die is gain Christ. So if you have Jesus as your all-satisfying treasure, and if death is going to gain you more, bring it on. That does not mean we seek death. Okay, we don't get morbid about it. As, As long as we are alive here, God wants us to live more days, more years, more decades, 
Because he has a purpose for us, especially strengthening other brothers and sisters and trusting Jesus and bringing people who don't know Christ to come to trust Jesus. So we have a, a plan here for while we're here. But when the day comes when you know it's your time, when you know it's time for you to go, because you've experienced your heart so full of the Lord that you have wanted nothing else, and because you know that death is going to bring you more, you'll be free from fear of losing what you have here on earth. Does that make sense? Third reason. You don't need to fear the pain and suffering of dying. Because Jesus will help you. Okay, twice in this passage, verse 16, he helps the offspring of Abraham. Verse 18, he's able to help those who are being tempted. And that applies to all kinds of help, all the help we need. Jesus is, he helps us. But this certainly applies to the help we need as as we are on our deathbed, especially if it's going to involve suffering. So I just want you to know, I mean, let's just be real. Death can be dying in your sleep painlessly, or death can be long and difficult. Right? It's just reality. And God could, in his wisdom and love, he could ordain that any of us have either one. Just get real, okay? Right? It could be either one. Either one could be for me, and it would be, if it was the long, painful one, uh, it, would, it would be from his loving, wise hand. Here's why you don't need to fear. Because you will not be alone. Your older brother, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, will be there for you. He will be there for you. He will give you the grace you need. You think, I don't have that kind of grace right now. Well, it's because that's not where you are right now. Okay? When you're there, he'll give you the grace for there. Now he's got he'll give you the grace for now. He will give you all the grace that you need. He will strengthen your faith at that time. He will comfort you in the pain and in the suffering. He will be there for you and it will end. And then you will see him face to face. No need to fear. He will help you. You will not be alone at that moment. He'll help you. Fourth reason. You don't need to fear leaving others with the hardship of your dying. Because Jesus will help them. Your wife, who's trusting Jesus, won't be left alone. Won't be. Same with your husband, children, okay? Won't be left alone. Jesus will help them. Jesus will comfort them. Jesus will strengthen them. Jesus will provide for them. Jesus will take care of them. You do not need to fear that if you die, what's going to happen to your family? If the Lord chooses to have that happen, he will take care of them. He promises. So here's what I want you to think about. Imagine that you heard that you've got, I don't know, five days, two weeks to live. Imagine hearing that and imagine having no fear. Imagine that. Not just having no fear, but imagine being filled with peace and uh, anticipation and now, there'd be some sorrow. Say goodbye to my wife. What are you going to take care of her, right? 
my kids, you, okay? But knowing that you're going to see Jesus Christ face to face, and he's going to take care of everything that's left behind here, you could be completely free from fear and completely filled with peace. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. So, Mercy Hill Church, your day's coming, my day's coming. I may be standing at your hospital bed. You may be standing at my hospital bed. Okay? It is coming, unless the Lord comes back first. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Okay, but, but apart from that, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. And so I, would, I want Mercy Hill Church to be a church full of people who when, if you get a call from the doctor, you're at peace because you know Jesus and what he's promised. And so maybe hang on to these notes, go back over these promises, but let's be a church so that we, we, are, we are understanding all that Jesus Christ has done for us. He has freed us from the fear of death. We don't need to fear anything about death. We are free to love, to advance the gospel, to live to the hills for Jesus' glory, and we don't even need to have any fear of death whatsoever. Here's what I want us to do. I want us uh, let's stand up. I want to pray this over us, but I think there's some of you who you you need to, you may not want to, but you need to come forward and stand here because death is a point of some level of fear. It might be because of your loved ones. It might be because you aren't sure whether God would forgive you or not, whether you whether you stand forgiven through Christ. It might be because of the suffering of it possibly. It might be just the loss of what you have here on earth. I think there's some of you who need to come up here and and uh, and and just we want to pray over you. And ask God just to free you. It may be fear of what's going to happen to my husband or my kids or my wife. And the Lord wants to free you from that fear. So come on up right now. Just come on up. And uh, we want to pray for you. So be bold. Should we just a whole bunch of you? You know. Or maybe not a whole bunch, but some. Who else? Don't be bashful. Let me pray, and then uh, if you still want to come, you can. Lord, I I pray that you take this word that we've seen and that you would deeply plant it in our hearts. Lord, I would guess that all of us, when we think of death, uh, we're not free from fear. There's there's reasons, different reasons that we we feel fear. And so I, I pray, Lord, that that would stop through your word today. I pray that you would stop this, Lord God. I pray, Lord, for those who um, aren't sure that if they died today, that they really aren't sure that you would smile when you saw them. They aren't sure that they are forgiven through Christ's death. And I, I pray that today they could look to you by faith and that you would so assure them by your outpourings of love and by the work of your spirit as they trust Jesus Christ, that they would know and that fear could be gone forever. I pray for those whose hearts are tied to things in this world that they don't want to leave. And I pray, Lord, that you'd convict them that if they want this world more than you, they should raise earnest questions as to whether they've ever really met you. And Lord, have them turn to meet you today. 
so they can see you are the all-satisfying treasure, not anything in this world. And give them times where they so experience your nearness and your love that they feel that you are the all-satisfying treasure so they, they're freed from fear of losing anything here because they're going to get more of you. Pray that right now you'd free people from fear of the possible pain and suffering of death. That they would see that you will be there to help them. They will not be alone. You will give them all the grace they need for that time and free them from fear through that. And then, Lord, fear for loved ones. Thank you for their concern. Thank you for their love for their loved ones. But, Lord, let them see your promise to help and that you will take care of husband, wife, children, parents, grandchildren, whoever it might be, friends, you'll take care of them. So come, Lord, I pray. Bring your power, God, I pray. In Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, we love you. You are our Savior. You are our Savior, Lord. You are our hero. You took on a human body so you could die. So we wouldn't have to be punished by the Father. We praise you. you. You were blameless. You were sinless. So you could receive from the Father the destiny we'd forfeited. And you died for our sins so we could, by faith, share with you in that destiny. Thank you that we can look ahead to the future. And death is no longer in the devil's hands for us who know you. Death is in the Father's hands. And so we can be completely at peace. So I pray, Lord, that you'd pour out your peace upon us. I pray that you would do a deep work in our hearts right now for the glory of your name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.